Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. Saw the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right, welcome to Off the Bench. You hinted at it just a minute ago. You said you had shoulder issues. Yeah. Thankfully, you're okay. Yep. Uh, Markel Fultz. It has been one of the bigger... Been Mysteries in yeah. sports, like this this Markel Fultz injury situation. Is it mental? He has the hitch. Right. I think the fact that they found out that they diagnosed this as thoracic outlet syndrome, TOS as it's known, yeah. is huge news for the Sixers because I think the Sixers, and thankfully they found it now because I think they were getting ready to part ways with him. I think if you fix the injury – Maybe he won't be a bust that everybody thought he was going to be. And I think more importantly, maybe he's not a basket case that we all thought he was. Correct. Like, I've been very vocal about this being a mental thing. Yes. Um, the Me reason too. why he'd seen a whole lot of specialists and no one had ever diagnosed him with having an actual condition. So you, you, you touched on being happy for the Sixers. I'm really happy for Markel Fultz. Yes. Um, because if it is physical, and he can get over the hump mentally because I, I don't want to discount like what, what's going to happen is he has been affected mentally by this. Like it may not be the source of all of the problems, but when you go through a, a, an injury like that that can't be diagnosed for years and you start to have these struggles with your shooting form and playing around with that crazy looking free throw, it does start to have a mental effect on you. So now they can fix the physical. They figured out what's wrong with that, but has the damage that's been done to him mentally been irreparable or can he fix that and so if it can be fixed i'm really happy for markel fultz but i don't want sixers fans uh to think that they're just going to fix that shoulder and he's going to be the guy that you drafted number one there's a whole lot of mental repair that has to be done too yes and that still you know that's to be determined but i do feel like if he's 100 percent healthy yeah that he'll be it because i there is something about being the butt of every joke of guys in the NFL sure. celebrations with your weird free throw technique, like all of that. So yes, there's going to be some mental rehab that has to take place, but maybe it all does stem down to a little bit of pain, just something shooting. I don't, I don't know what it feels like, but something irritating him that threw him off that he tried to fight through. Like I'm actually impressed. Uh, Debo just said he claimed to have taken 150,000 shots over the summer with this injury, which right. is insane. Like he must have been hurting him somewhat. But now you get that past you and you come back. So I talked to our Canel and Bell medical expert this morning. Sure. Said that he would expect this to be a full recovery. Yeah. Other, it's basically, it's a baseball injury that a lot of pitchers deal with. Whitey Ford historically had it. Mm -hmm. Matt Harvey from the Mets had it. Um, so it's more of a common for a baseball injury, but now you're seeing it cross over to basketball. And I just think it's, it could potentially turn his whole bus. Of course. You know, label. Would change the whole narrative on it. Completely turn it around. Uh, what would you do if you're the Sixers? Because the Sixers have, this has been a headache for them, sure. right? They've tried, they, they, they look bad for taking him. There was rumors that they were shopping him. Yeah. Would you still shop him or would you say, like I believe, like, hey, this is a great thing. Maybe we're going to all of a sudden find that, you know, we were digging for gold and all of a sudden we found a little piece. Maybe this thing can totally turn it around. A lot of that would be predicated on what I see every day in practice. Yeah. Like if the rest of his game is number one overall pick worthy and, and, he, and he's showing that on the court in practice and it's just a matter of him not being able to make jump shots and now there's an explanation for that. And I don't shop him because I still feel like I have a really good, you know, I have a really good prospect here. But if you've got to look at him for two years now and the floor game uh, doesn't live up to what you thought it was going to be and the IQ isn't what you thought it would it would materialize into and he's missing shots, 
you know, I, I, you I judge, might shop that. Can you judge the IQ at this point? Like the basketball IQ? Yeah. Cause I think the other thing you can judge, and if he did take 150,000 shots, like if he's putting in the work and he's trying to get back and he's been a guy who's tried to do every bit of rehab and tried to do everything and spend extra hours in the gym, then maybe I'm like feeling a little bit of compassion for him. No, there's you know no compassion. There's no new compassion. <laughs> All right. Compassion. This so is business. We dude. have our, this so is... we have our Philly expert in yeah. here, uh, our boy Debo. Uh, He's owed $9.8 million next season. Okay. That would be something potentially huge if they were trying to make another free agent signing, if they're able to move him, sure. take that off the book. So that definitely would come into, uh, to play there too. Yeah. It, it, and again, like it, it depends on the windows now because you got Jimmy Butler in. So your window of time to win has been like pushed up. Like that, that timeline has been bumped up a little bit. Yeah. And so there are big decisions that have to be made. But, uh, but again, like for Markel, like happy that he actually has an injury. That's weird to say that they can, that they've diagnosed. Yeah. Now they can kind of rectify it with the surgery. And I do hope for his sake and for Philly fans sake that, um, the mental like rehab is, is not as much as, as I actually think it, it might be. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it'll be good. It'll be interesting to watch. See how he goes through this process. He's going to undergo the surgery, uh, soon and hopefully he'll be back yeah. shooting again because it mm-hmm. sounds like he's putting in the work. All right. Let's take a look at my top 10. NFL. It's Wednesday. It's what we Dude, do every Wednesday. We have my to, top bro. 10 teams. Are oh. the Vikings in there? Oh! You can't, I, I like Kirk Cousins. But okay. At some point you have to come to reality. They're just not that good this year. Right. Cowboys bumping into that 10 spot. Here's my belief. Didn't I say that to you a couple weeks yeah, ago and you, you laughed did. at me? I did laugh at you, you did. as I laughed at Jason Garrett and Jerry Jones and right. I said, let's clean house. Yeah. Let's get rid of them all. They go on a win streak. They're one of the hottest teams in the NFL. They're doing it with the old school style of play too. They're running Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah. They're not asking Dak to do a ton. They're playing really good defense as they showed against the Saints when they completely throttled that Saints team. Right. So I think at some point, like all these teams that I have in my top 10, at some point you have to recognize that they are winning games. As much as you might not believe in them to go far, you know, far, far in the playoffs, mm-hmm. at some point you have to recognize what they're doing on the field and what the Cowboys are doing is pretty impressive. It is pretty impressive. Why did the Pats jump the Chiefs as the highest ranked AFC team? So for me, I think the Chiefs, and I know they've won, and I still like the Chiefs, but I don't know. The, this past weekend against the Raiders, they were favored. A lot of it does. This was a Kareem Hunt. Hey, this was Kareem Hunt thing. That has something to do with it. All too. right. Good teams win, great teams cover. Oh. <laughs> and so the Chiefs <laughs> let me down against the Raiders this really past emotional. week. No, but they still, their defense is still an incredible liability for them. Their offense is yeah. awesome, but their defense just is not very good. They're in the bottom, uh, either dead last or second to last in almost every meaningful defensive category. So I think that's a huge but, liability. And I, like if these two teams face again, I think Bill Belichick will have something for Patrick Mahomes that he hasn't seen. And I would tend to trust the Patriots more than I trust the Chiefs. And I think Patrick Mahomes is on a, I think he should be MVP. I think he's having an incredible season. I like the Chiefs, but I also know Andy Reid's history in the playoffs. Yeah, true. That great. True. And the surest bet in all of sports is that the Patriots, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are going to be one of the last teams standing. While on one hand, you have said that, like you've yeah. been pretty consistent. You also told me another, <laughs> uh, like a two weeks ago, that Why are you the pointing Patriots, out all this? No, because I'm interested because the Patriots yes. that you said the Patriots didn't feel like agreed. Like they were the Patriots of old. They were. And that. I did the same thing when they started one and two. Yeah. And then I'm like, no, I can't do it anymore. All I right. can't. I'm not. Gonna I got give you. Up so belief. Going- and at some point, again, the record starts to starts to matter. Like right. they're only they're, they're only trailing uh, Kansas City by one game for the home field. 
uh, you know, for the number one seed in, in the AFC. Like they're not that, it's not that crazy to think that they could get the number one seed in the AFC, which is nuts. And when you consider their schedule, which this is one thing that I think often gets overlooked in Brady's dominance and Belichick's dominance. Good they have played in this division, which is absolute garbage. The AFC East has been atrocious. And once again, it's going to crop up when their last four, three out of the last four games are against the Dolphins, Bills, and Jets. And oh, by the way, the two last ones are at home. Like they're going to go three and one, and they might go four and zero oh if they can go to Steelers and knock them off. Um, let me ask you about these two teams: um, Texas and Seahawks, both in your top ten. Yes, um, Texans obviously riding this this nine game win streak. That's the team again. They're similar to the Cowboys, except on a much higher level because I think they're better and they've been doing it for longer. At some point, nine wins in a row. You have to look at them and start buying in. I also think Deshaun Watson is dynamic. Right. I think their defense is significantly better than the Chiefs even. Um, and I think they've got enough playmakers, enough weapons to be a team that can make a run in the playoffs. And the Chargers, the Chargers, I've changed my mind on the Chargers. I used to look at the Chargers and be like, that's a team that no one's going to want to play in the right. playoffs. To all of a sudden, now I'm looking at saying they're going to win a game in the playoffs. Like right. They're not just going to be a tough out. They're going to knock somebody off, one of these division champs. And I could see that playing out because they've, they've all of a sudden looked really good. In the new NFL, we've talked about teams like the Cowboys, let's say. I've said it, you've said it. Teams that just want to run the ball, defend, um, and have kind of a game-managing quarterback, not being able to beat those teams with these high-powered offenses, except we saw the Cowboys do it to the Saints. And so I want to talk about the Seahawks real quick yep. because I think they do have a formula to be kind of scary. They defend. Yep. They run the heck out of the ball. They're number one in the NFL and running the ball. But And their quarterback is a game-changing quarterback. They totally just agree. don't ask him to throw it 35, 40 times a game. Totally agree. That's yeah. a scary thing. That's a real scary thing, especially when they have the history of rich success. And this team, I mean, a lot of people wrote them off. They started 0 and 2, then they were 1, uh, then they were 2 and 3. Like they've kind of just been hovering. Now they're finally getting a couple wins, three wins in a row. They're starting to come around. Massive game against my guy, Kirk Cousins. Where is it? It's in Seattle. Like, and they'll be favored in this game. They should win that game. Right. And they go 49ers. Chiefs will be a good test. Then Cardinals. So you could see them. Going nine and seven, getting in the uh, playoffs as a wild card. Here's where I would think about them. This is where I think they're a little bit different than the Chargers. I think they're that team that nobody wants to play, but I do think the other teams in the NFC are are better. Yeah. And I, when I say better, I look at the Rams and the Saints. Um, but like the Bears and the Seahawks, I would probably lean towards trusting Russell Wilson way more than I sure, do. Sure, than Trubisky? Trubisky. Right. Now that Bears defense is filthy and it's nasty. But I think there's a, you know, that could be a scenario. The other thing, Seattle, like, could you envision them going to Chicago? It's, that's, see, that's an interesting dynamic that would come into play because it would be nasty conditions. And that's where I think Chicago, if they get a home field playoff game, that's going to play, you know, yeah, massively in their favor. Seattle runs the heck out of the ball, though. True, true. So they're, they're a team that I like a lot, um, coming down the stretch. Like, it's, it's funny how many teams are still in the, in the playoff race. You have a bunch of teams, like the Dolphins. They are a bad football team. Yeah. They still have a chance to make playoffs. They're six and six. It's crazy. To it's me. crazy when you look at the way things unfold and how many teams are bunched up, uh, around there. The Ravens, they're a team that's kind of on the bubble. They were my 11th team, in case you were wondering. And it was between the Ravens and the Cowboys as far as who got that 10th slot. And the Ravens, have been okay, but I don't think they're as hot and as complete as the Cowboys. Is there any controversy in Baltimore? Is this a wrap? Like you stick with Lamar Jackson or is there any, is there any voice in that locker room or in the organization calling for Joe Flacco? Is there any pressure? No, I don't think there is. Now Lamar Jackson has been, I don't want to say exposed because that's a really strong word, 
but he's shown some of his limitations well, as a rookie. Yeah, clearly, he's not right, like he's not a finished po- uh, product. But you right. won three games with him. Right, like he's and three he's, and zero as a starter. He's so been I'm dynamic as a runner. That's a tough situation, right? Like if yeah. you're a coach, you're an organization, you're saying, well, clearly Joe Flacco gives us a a better chance to win on paper. Right with the things that he can do, yes. you know he can make these throws, diagnose these coverages. But this guy's three and zero, and people seem to be kind of rallying. That's a tough spot to be in right. as a as an organization. You know what I think they should do, and I think John Harbaugh actually hinted at this: play both, yeah, like utilize both. And I'm not a fan of two quarterback systems, and I wonder how Flacco would be. I don't think Flacco in and off the field if he would really like that. Did you see Joe Flacco's face like early in the season <laughs> yes. on the one play every sixteen downs yes. where he had to go in, out to in like, the death stare, correct. But you got to do what you got to do to win. And I, I think they're, I think to your question, Flacco's done after this year. Yeah. Like they've seen enough from Lamar Jackson. They'll sign somebody else as a backup. And they got RG3 there too. Right. Actually, right. All right. In that spot. All right. So that wraps up the top 10. We got to do some college basketball because there have been some fantastic freshmen, uh, that have been making some impacts. Yeah. With big programs. And I'm telling you, there's an unknown team that nobody saw in the preseason except our guy, Matt Norlander. He's going to come on, tell us who it is next and off the bench. All right, welcome back off the bench. Uh, hanging out here, just got a bill that I saw that I was not very happy with. That's, <laughs> That's why you were like, what's going like, on? What happened? Are you irritated? Yeah. No, I got a little bill in the mail. Uh, there's a problem with our water. Yeah. Uh, like there's a, there's a leak somewhere. Right. So our water bill was like off the charts. Oh. So I'm like trying to figure out like, right, how right, to right. get this fixed right. ASAP. <laughs> we get that back in. How, when do you start dialing into college hoops? Like midnight madness, first game or? No, I kind of ease my way in. Like I've seen Duke play a couple times. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll watch a minute or two, but like probably next month I'll really start dialing in a little See, bit. Me too, but that's why we need our guy Matt Norlander. Yeah, absolutely. He keeps us up to speed on everything that's going on. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Matt Norlander. Check out his uh, podcast. He's the co-host, co-host of Eye on College Basketball right on CBS. Make sure you check that out. Matt, what's going on, man? How we doing? Fellas, it's good to be with you. We're doing good. And yeah, let's, let's talk some college hoops here. This is turning out to be quite an interesting season. We are already, if you can believe it, 25% of the way through the college basketball season. So, uh, a month wow. behind and, uh, December's here. Yeah. That is pretty nuts. All right. So we both, Raj and I have been tuned in to watch Duke and their freshmen, but they're not the only, uh, f- freshmen are out there that are having impacts on their team. All right. Let me know if I say his name right. Lugens Dort from Arizona State. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, let's uh, let's rock and roll with that. He has been fantastic. And really, last time Arizona State had a freshman this good, you guys know who it was. James Harden. Dort is averaging more than 20 points a game. A fantastic shooter, a good athlete. And he was a borderline four-star, five-star coming in. And he has proved to be on our Frost Watch. Uh, he's third best in the country among all freshmen. Iggy Brasdikas, another Canadian. Uh, he's top five as well. Romeo Langford. And then you've got Zion Williamson and RJ Barrett rounding out the top five of the Frost Watch at CBSSports.com. But Dort has been a revelation. Arizona State is off to a Another undefeated start through November for the second straight season under Bobby Hurley. And Dort does it at both ends. I love that college basketball has a dude named Dort. It's just awesome. He's fantastic. He makes Arizona State much watch. And they've got a game against undefeated Nevada coming up this weekend. A really good under-the-radar kind of game. So Dort is worth watching. Arizona State overall is an impressive team again. And they're battling in-state with Arizona, not just for recruits now, Hurley is proving capable of bringing some uh, big-time prospects. But this season alone, the Sun Devils could prove to be better than the Wildcats. Matt, you talked about Brisdakis there in Michigan. Um, they're back in the in the in top of the college basketball rankings again. I feel like Coach Beeline goes, goes under the radar in terms of coaching. Does he not get enough credit? You know what? 
I think he's about at that point because uh, we did a, a poll of more than 100 coaches in the offseason at CBSSports.com, our annual Candid Coaches series, where we talked to a bunch of guys. And they're as honest as can be when we don't attribute the quotes to their names. And Beeline has continually gotten credit for being an elite tactician and among among the very best and cleanest coaches in college basketball. So within college hoops, Beeline's at that level now where he's pretty much considered top five. It might take a few more months, maybe one more really, really good season for Michigan for the general public to know that even though he doesn't have a national championship yet, this is a Hall of Fame coach and is certainly a top ten guy within the sport unquestionably. My favorite fact about John Beeline is this, and I don't know how often this will ever happen again. He is Never, ever, ever been an assistant coach. He started as a head coach at the high school level, then worked his way up from the lower levels of college before he cracked through at Canisius, and then obviously gets to West Virginia and Michigan. He's only ever been a head coach. That's not a common path, but for him it's worked, and he is clearly an elite kind of guy. And you mentioned Brazdikas. He's been a top-five freshman, has been terrific for that team, and an unexpected boost after they obviously lost Mo Wagner to the NBA last season. All right, so you were at the Garden for the Jimmy V Classic, uh, watching Oklahoma take on Notre Dame. They get the win. What did uh, what did Lon Kruger have to say about Trey Young that was interesting to you? Well, Oklahoma is seven and one, and they are they started off well last season with Trey Young, and they wouldn't trade last season. I think for almost anything except maybe more wins in the NCAA tournament, maybe a little bit better of a seed. But the program was better for having Trey Young in it, and yet, guys. Oklahoma is looking better without Trey Young this season. It's kind of bizarre what's happening here. I spoke with Kruger and the, and the coaching staff, and, they, and listen, I was told we had some morale issues last season. And after the end of the season, when we had such a bad defensive team, we had a real meeting about changing our identity, and it's working. Oklahoma's defense is much better than its offense this season, which is a good sign because Kruger kind of like Beeline, guys, is more known for his offensive output. So if Oklahoma can round into shape and their schedule is brutal, they could get into the tournament, be a better seed, and actually wind up being better without Trey Young. And real quick, Raja, I just wanted to ask you about that because when they were talking to me last night and I knew I was going to be on the show, like in your playing experience, what do you account for that? Because Trey, was he led the nation in scoring and assists, and yet without him, the team is seeming to gel better. Is there a, a definable quality as to why that can actually come to be? Yeah, when I watched them play last year, as good as he was, um, he just dominated the ball so much, Matt. And when you do that, you can alienate some guys. Even if you just get them the ball for like a layup or something like that and you're leading the country in assists, you know, everybody likes to touch the ball a little bit, feel like they're part of the offense. And I do feel like as, as electrifying as Trey was, the ball dominance probably took an effect or had an effect like on his teammates and their morale. And it, I guess, you know, my other point would be like, wow, who knew the defense could win? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it wins. Um, but Matt, let me ask you another question. I want to go mid-major because Danny's been teasing, teasing it, uh, the whole program. Tell us about Furman. Who are they? Where'd they come from? What makes them, uh, a top 25 worthy program at this point? I love you guys. We are going to talk Furman on off yeah. the bench right now. It's fantastic. They're they're led by a young coach, Bob Ritchie, 35 years old. They haven't been to the NCAA tournament since 1980. They're one of, what, 11 undefeated teams left in college basketball. They are absolutely legit. Have won at Villanova, at Loyola Chicago. And that conference that they're in, by the way, Wofford's in it. Wofford gave Kansas a push. So the league itself is going to be good enough where I think if Furman drops a few games, they will have a genuine chance, a genuine chance, to get, say, a 12-seed as an at-large if they don't win the automatic bid. They're old, and they've been building toward this. They've been good in recent seasons, but more than anything, they've got such a good defensive identity, and they're really savvy around the rim. So it's always fun in college hoops just to track a few mid-major types that are really, really good. 
I spoke with Mike Bray at Notre Dame last night. He got beat by Radford. He said Furman, Radford, and then, of course, Buffalo, which is ranked, what, 17th in this week's poll. It's the best season in program history to this point. Those are the three to watch. But, yes, Furman is a lot of fun. And they're even more fun because, you know, the school initials are FU. So there is potential, uh, <laughs> potential nefarious action with the student section, but that's good. I'm all in on FU. I love it. <laughs> I'm all in on FU too. That's what you get when you do your 351 preseason <laughs> rankings. You do the deep dive. You were one of the only ones that saw Farman being one of the better mid-major teams this season. So congrats on that. Looks like you are a genius this week anyway. We'll go with that. All right. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it, man. Make sure you check him out at Matt Norlander on Twitter. Thanks, bud. Hey, I love ending on that note. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. All right. So, college football news. Yeah. A uh, couple, two different ways to look at this because Maryland had the, you know, horrible tragedy with having their player. Then there's this deep dive on their program. Their coach, DJ Durkin, is brought back. He's suspended, brought back, then fired. Right. Matt Canada was interim coach. Did okay with him. I think they had to clean house. They absolutely had to clean house with how much baggage was there. So much, uh, there was a, this, a cloud going over the program. They bring in Mike Loxley, who was the offensive coordinator at Bama. He's a, he's spent time at Maryland before. Yeah. I don't think it's a great hire. Really? I, he's, he, so he was at New Mexico earlier, had three wins in two and a half seasons that ended early. He was an interim coach at Maryland before. He was one in five during that stint. Uh. I hope he's like, a lot of guys go and they learn from Nick Saban and they, you know, implement a lot of his strategies into their program. Right. I hope it works for him because I'm like, most importantly, like the kids in that team who have been through a tragedy, been through a coaching change now, they're going around. Like, I hope they find somebody that they can play for and have success i just don't make now mike loxley's a good recruiter i think sure. recruit that state but it's a, it's a tough job um it's be a really tough job for him to to him to succeed look I, i'll say this i'll say it until i'm blue in the face um there are some people that are built and can be great assistant coaches ocs directors of recruiting um what have you in a program that's not the head guy and then there's some guys that are built to be head guys right so you know you just sometimes you never know um the difference here is I think you just alluded to a bit of a track record, mm-hmm. uh, and that speaks to maybe him not being the guy. But I'm with you in that I hope that it is a good fit for Maryland because I do think with all the tragedy that's been surrounding the program lately, they deserve uh, some success and a good look. Also, if you're the offensive coordinator at Alabama, you're probably going to have success, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you've got the best talent on the field. Now you have the best quarterback or one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So, how Was this his first year at Bama? Uh, no, he's been there, but it was first year calling plays. Okay, because I, I mean, a ball last year. So here's where the Alabama side comes in is because they are searching for their fifth offensive coordinator since 2016. Now Sark was a little bit unique because he only had one game when Lane Kiffin left early. Um, or, yeah, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> Fired, let go, moved on, right. whatever terminology you want to use there. So Sark only had the one game. Then Brian Dayball, who's in the NFL now and is being mentioned for a lot of head coaching jobs. And then you had Mike Loxley this past season. That's that one year of doing it. That's the price of being like the premier program in the in the nation. Like they're going to come plucking from your tree all the time to find the next head coach for whatever other program is out there. And I think that speaks to just how good Nick Saban is and how that program runs. That you can just plug and play with different OCs to this that's degree. What makes me wonder how hard it is to be the offensive coordinator of Bama. Like you can call the same plays and they're just going to run over people. That's why they're I asked you dominate. if if that guy was if it was his first year or if this was his second first year, year because plays. like their offense hasn't been this. Like revolutionary offense, like they just plugged Tua in this right. year. But I think Tua this. was the biggest difference. Well, correct. I mean, but years and years prior to this, yeah. it, it was the defense that was like, <laughs> right. you know, the bread and butter, right? right? So the offense, I wouldn't look at a guy who's called plays for three years at Bama and be like, I gotta have him. I wonder if Saban, if this bothers him at all, 
Like, cause I mean, basically coaches, you see it happen. Butch Jones is the latest coach that's an offensive, uh, analyst on their yeah. staff. Coaches go there to bump up their stock, sure. basically, if they've been beaten, like Lane Kiffin did. Mm-hmm. Lane Kiffin was on uh, the garbage pile and the trash heap. Saban brings him in. All of a sudden, he, you know, gets a resurgence, goes and takes the head job at FAU. All, Mike, Mike Loxley, what would, coach, wasn't having much success, goes to Bama. I think what would coaches, bother you? Well, the fact you have zero stability. I think, the, and but you're getting great I mean, coaches to come do it. For yeah, you. you're always gonna you're always gonna get the great coach that needs a little rehab. So yeah. you're gonna get the highest quality dudes in there uh, in terms of what their their knowledge and stuff like that. And the thing that's the most important to Nick is the recruits. Yes. It's not necessarily – look, you can throw a lot of OCs and DCs out there. If you got all of the best players in the country, right. you're going to win. Here's the thing. I don't think people like coaching under Nick Saban because yeah. he's demanding. I think he puts in tremendous hours. I think there's a lot of the stress. Grinder. He's going to curse you out like he yeah. did Lane Kiffin on the sideline. He's going to run things the way he wants to. But I think coaches use him. I think they're like, I'll go suck it up for a year, maybe two, and yeah. then I'll put it on my resume. And because I'm a Nick Saban disciple, I'm going to get a job somewhere else. So, I mean, I think that's just kind of what happens in Tuscaloosa. Right. Um, there was some interesting sound from the Urban Meyer press conference yesterday when he was announcing his retirement. It was very short. Uh, let me see. Uh, I want to hear if, what, if you believe Urban Meyer in his non-answer when he was asked if he would go okay. again. All right, so that was frozen. Yep. So his so somebody said, "Will you ever coach again?" He said, "It's complicated." Oh, no, that's no, no, said, then no. But then, <laughs> right? You've already answered my question. I mean, I've answered your question. Oh, you think no. he will coach again? Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Now a lot of people are saying, "Well, it's his health." Like there's this is different. He's only 54 and he's done this before. When you're posed the question, "Will you ever coach again?" <laughs> and you know that you won't ever coach again, you say, "No, I will not well, ever he, coach so again." So he said it's complicated first, no. and then he said, "You've qualified it." No, no. I'm fairly certain. No, 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 I won't. No. So it was essentially you are spotted. Like you have you have figured out the coach speak that he was Correct. delivering. Hey, Danny, because he did not want to get in a position where. Nick We're in an interrogation. Hey, Danny, <laughs> right. did did you rob? Will you ever rob a bank? Did you rob the bank, Danny? You're in the wrong. It's job. complicated. We need to put you um, out there and press. Fairly certain. I want to that I'm you. not robbing the bank. No, dude. You're, of course he's going to coach again. His track record speaks to that, bro. He bailed on Florida. He took a cushy job at in, in, in thing. He ran Florida into the ground. Look, I, I don't really love Urban at my core. A lot of I, people- I don't, and he's going to do it again. I it's complicated. Think he'll do it again. I'm much like him. I'm fairly certain. You're fairly certain. There you You're go. You're in the wrong job, though. You need to be there, Pepper and Urban Meyer, at the press conference because they bully these coaches. Bully all these little nerdy reporters oh. around. I want to see you out there with oh, the microphone, I love the, like, going right back at me. My press credentials. Let's incredible. go. I think you should do it. Rose Bowl. Send me to Pasadena. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do go. it. Let's go. We'll do that. We'll put you in the post game <laughs> press conference. Say, what are you thinking on that fourth down call? <laughs> you do that and get back at them and to see if they come back at you like they do against all those writing nerds. All right, NBA was in full force. It's been out for a while. Yep. There have been some interesting storylines this season. I got to drill you on some of those. Right. Much like you were going to drill Urban Meyer, I'm going to drill you on the NBA. It's coming up next and off the bench. All right, welcome back to mm. Off the Bench. We're in here arguing about spas, yeah. massages, yeah. or facials. Facials. Which are better? Massages all day long. I'm facial. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you might have to get to hand on that socially relevant. We'll get her expert opinion on that matter. Uh, but let's do your area of expertise. Yeah. It is the NBA. Um, the Kings and Suns were in action last night. And the um, – no Marvin Bagley. He wasn't playing right. for uh, the Kings. Devin Booker didn't play for the Suns. But it got ugly. Do you think – both these teams might have second second guesses about who they selected number one and number two overall. Um, 
And is what I'm saying is that they passed on Luka Doncic. Who's Luka's, been, Luka's been fantastic. He's, he's, uh, first in rookies, like points per game, three point percentage. He's second in assists only to like Trey Young. Um, the list goes on and on. Like he's having a really good year, but could they be having second guesses? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you see your guy hasn't materialized, but I would caution them all and, and just have a little bit of patience because, um, I always said that Luca was going to be the one that was probably most ready to play in the NBA. His ceiling might not be as high as Marvin Bagley's or DeAndre Ayton's, but he was going to be further along on his like curve than they were because he's played with grown men from the time right. he was 14 years old. He's been leading teams in the Euro League. You see the points right there per game. You know, he's at 18, but Marvin Bagley's at 13. DeAndre Ayton's at 16. Um, DeAndre Ayton at 10 rebounds a game. Like, look, that he's having a really good season. So yeah, Luka Doncic, if you were a team that wanted to win right now, Luka Doncic gives you a better chance right now to win than either DeAndre Ayton or Marvin Bagley. The catch is neither one of those teams are ready to win anything right now. <laughs> right. So take the one with the higher ceiling. Um, he might not be far, as far along the path as Luka is, but at the end of the day, I'm pretty confident that at least DeAndre Ayton would wind up being a better pro than Luka Doncic. Not taking anything away from Luka. I think Luka's going to be fantastic, but DeAndre has a chance to be really, really special. Marvin Bagley the third. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting him in the class of DeAndre. But yeah, the, to answer your question, maybe, but it was to be expected. Right. And I think there's also teams have different expectations for their guy. I think they're, I think they re, have a reasonable expectation of saying, look, Luca is going to be better because he had more experience sure. there. And also it has to play out over five to 10 years before you do this. And if you look back at every draft, it doesn't always work where the number one pick has the best career, the number two has the second best career. Like teams, Pick guys for different reasons, and they might be better fits in Absolutely. different teams and systems. Look at the ball kid. Uh, I don't know what it is. Lamelo, Lamelo, the, 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 the younger one. Yeah, they took him out of high school basketball. Yep. All right, everybody laughed about what he did in Lithuania and stuff like that, but he actually went over and played against grown men. Mm -hmm. All right, look what he's doing when he comes back and he plays in high school basketball. Now he looks like a man playing amongst boys, and Luka Doncic has been doing that. Since he was 14 years old, these kids have been playing against their peers. It makes a huge difference when you scale a kid up or a young man up in terms of playing against older, faster, bigger, stronger people and they can, they can acclimate to that speed. So in the NBA, DeAndre Ayton and, and Marvin Bagley are both trying to acclimate to a speed that they've never really seen before. Like three steps above what they're used to seeing in college. While Luca only has to take like one step above what he saw in Euroleague because it's a much closer product to NBA basketball. So he is going to naturally be able to hop in there and be more effective than those guys. San Antonio Spurs have been one of the best dynasties. I don't think people give enough credit to because we've gotten lost in the, you know, recently it's been the Warriors, yeah. Avs, like yeah. that whole thing. But, like, they had an incredible run. It looks like it might be coming to an end. They have been bad. Uh Their last three losses have been by an average of 34 points in those games. They've made the playoffs 21 straight years. They're still in that clump of teams in the Western Conference yep. that are still around 11, 12 wins. But do you think this is the year that streak is broken? Yeah, this year it's just broken. Um, they, um, look, they have had some guard injuries. But more importantly, the Spurs drafted Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, they still had David Robinson when that first started. And so it was kind of a seamless transition from the David Robinson, Avery Johnson, Tim Duncan teams to the Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker teams. They always supplemented around the edges with, with older, um, not the, not the shiny, sexy free agent, but the one that was a meat and potatoes guy, right? Mm -hmm. Then you drafted Kawhi. So it, it extended that window a little bit more. Uh, you, you just had like, 
that's unheard of. It's unprecedented to hit on that many draft picks right in your in your window, and they haven't done that. Now you lose Kawhi. He's the first one to Bolton free agency. You don't have Tony Parker, Manu, or Timmy anymore. There are going to be some lean years from the Spurs. Uh, they're going to pop is still pop, fantastic. Stick around if you're pop for that. I don't know that I would know. <laughs> I mean, no, right? Because I mean, it could. I mean, his his legacy will be fine. But like, do you really want to subject yourself to that? Uh, I, what else does Pop have to do? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the question, right? Like, right. um, yeah, you know, I think Pop, he lost his wife, uh, last year, I believe. And, and, you know, sometimes, like Jerry Sloan, for instance, you know, Jerry retired, um, and within like four years of Jerry retiring, I saw him and he just looked like a different human being. Like, when he was still coaching. For better or for worse? For worse. Oh, really? When, like, no, seriously. Like, when Jerry was coaching us, he was old already. But there was some life to him. He had something to do every day. He had yeah. something to keep him busy, something to keep him like motivated and, and trying to achieve this. And then when, when he decided to retire, for the first two years, he looked good. It was all good. And then I saw him like two years later, and man, he, he looked old. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he was slowing down. He didn't have that thing uh, that was making him get up in the morning and, and want to succeed. And so, you know, it, de- it depends. When you ask me about Pop, like, I mean, what else does he have to do? Real talk. Right. Yeah. 69 years old, still young enough to where he could do it if he wants to. Um, Clay Thompson for the Warriors was, uh, talking about the Cavs Halloween party from yeah. 2016. Yeah. I think he had actually they had the RIP cookies. They had the RIP like gravestone cookies. They had yeah. balloons set up. They blew a 3-1 lead, like all this stuff. And Clay, when he was asked about it, did not hold back. He said, Oh yeah, ha. I think it's a little sarcastic. That was funny. Look how that turned out. Psh. Bums. <laughs> that was crazy. Bums. I forgot about that. Well, look at what pettiness gets you. It gets you one and eight in the finals. Idiots. That's pretty strong from Clay. Like he's not like I get one thing if you say one and eight, you tell the records, but bums and idiots. But dog, you put my you put my name and my like you put it on a great <laughs> like on a gravestone. On a gravestone. Listen, that tongue lashing that Clay dished out, everybody on the Cavs deserves that. Everyone. That was it was if you're going to do that, then you got to back it up. And the only reason you won a championship, I would argue, is because Draymond Green got suspended. Yes, correct. Very easy <laughs> argument to make. The correct. Lead. And you know what's more interesting to me is people have thought that Clay, um, to the Lakers possibly, potentially, and if, that's going to help his case right but, there. But no, that's it's my a thing. Awkward. Like if if you're if and if you really feel that way about. Look, LeBron would take Clay. Don't get that twisted. Like, LeBron's trying to get anybody he can get of that kind of quality to come to L.A. But if you harbor that kind of resentment, if you're Clay, uh, for what the Cavs did, would do you want to play with LeBron? I don't know. Let me ask you something, though, because I think this goes to the deeper, like, I think fans read this, I read this, and I'm like, man, he went in on them. Yeah. Is this one of those things with the All-Star game and they're laughing about it, like saying, man, you guys are bums, you're about chumps, like, I can't believe you did that, we owned you. This is not trash talk, this is serious. That's real talk. It is. I believe that to be one of those things where he got asked and this was just, like, a genuine, like, spur of the moment kind of spontaneous response this wasn't like a, a scripted premeditated this was like you caught him in a moment and he let out what was really on his heart and no this it was not a joke they look dude danny there's some things that you do yeah in jest but when you put my name on a on a headstone <laughs> like i mean seriously you're crossing a line you're you've become a line stepper now a line stepper. Yeah. I like it. a line stepper. <laughs> lebron and the cats are line steppers <laughs> all right let's get it over to hannah for socially relevant Hannah, real quick, before we get to your stories, you can be the tiebreaker. Okay. What is better, a better experience at the spa? A full body massage 
or a facial? Facial. Oh, yeah. God. Like, Word. You guys, that's what's up. You guys are the worst. Roger, that and, was you? Oh, no. Yes. And, and he tried to talking. sell like full body massage <laughs> yes, exactly. and a facial. No. Like, come on. No, it's not the same. It's not the same. Correct. Yeah, All right. Better. Roger. <laughs> <laughs> Roger, you're going to like this too. So right. I had to tell you about this Green Bay story because this is now the only reason why I agree with you for not having a Twitter account. So the mm-hmm. Green Bay Packers decided to part ways with top assistant coach Winston Moss on Tuesday, just nine hours after Moss sent out a tweet that was perceived to be critical of quarterback Aaron Rodgers and the team's coaching staff. So here is that infamous tweet. He said, quote, ponder this, what championship teams have are great leadership, period. It's not the offensive guru then. It's not the safe trend. Find somebody that is going to hold number 12 and everybody in his building to a hashtag Lombardi standing period hashtag losing sex so many exclamation points in this he yeah. was not excited later because nine hours later this is the next tweet we saw from Moss he said the Packers have informed me that they're letting me go hashtag thanks Twitter another exclamation uh. there so Moss has been a linebackers coach for the Packers since 2006 and an associate head coach under Mike McCarthy since 2007. So Daniel Raja, he was hired by McCarthy, so maybe it's just not too surprising that he was quick to follow his footsteps out the door. His vacation just started a month early. <laughs> All that happened because I think he knew he was gone, but I do think it is very revealing that he called out number 12 and leadership and you know somebody to hold him accountable. Like this is yet another person. There've been a lot of former players, former teammates, a lot of chirping. Who have not been afraid to hold back on Aaron Rodgers. A lot of chirping. Yeah. First of all, nothing good ever happens on Twitter. That's <laughs> true. Don't, don't do talking that. Talking somebody like who might have been fired for something. Yeah, dude. Like, maybe, did he know he was going to be fired? If he did, then that's different. If you didn't know you were going to be fired, stay off of Twitter with that. I you understand what I'm saying? I wonder what was going through his mind. Like, if he thought, hey, I'm going to tell people, or if he was, I'm going to get Mike McCarthy's back. Like, if he was so, no. upset about it, whatever it was. Or do you think he said, I'm going to see how far I can get, take this? Why, why would you do that? What do you mean? See how far I can take this. I don't know. Maybe he wanted to be. Maybe fired. He, if he wanted to be again, different story. If this he wanted December to be December and Green Bay. Um, but I'm with you, uh, Danny. Number twelve sounds like a real poop butt. Yeah, like he sounds like a poop butt dude, man. Like, like there are enough people now calling him out, and and you better be real careful if you're Green Bay bringing the right dude. Were you asking me yesterday? Like, does he need to be involved? If he's a poop butt. Right. And you're going to stick with the poop, but then he needs to be involved. That's, involved what, I'm, that's what I was referencing. Yeah. Like, it's a unique dynamic between you and that quarterback, and you better make sure somebody's where to stroke his ego, yeah. get his input, at least play the part. Right. But there are a lot of people that are saying that about Aaron, which is kind of disappointing. Raj, I'll say it one more time. I don't think you said it He's enough. He's a poop butt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so staying with the trend of weird social media moves, Houston Rockets forward P.J. Tucker is known for being the shoe god of the NBA, but it looks like he's now made a new nickname for himself. He's called himself the Pancake King. So if you miss this on his Instagram stories lately, which you guys probably have, he's doing this new thing where he eats pancakes in almost every city he travels to. Check this out. He said, hey there, gorgeous. Been thinking about you all day. <laughs> All right, look at That's this next fantastic. one. Then he went to Minneapolis for the game against the Timberwolves. He said, okay, today I couldn't decide, so I snatched a regular buttermilk and then the seasonal gingerbread cake. Yeah, I'm hungry, hungry. Hashtag pancake poppy. So, Great. guys, I don't even know what to ask about this, so let me just say, is this something you guys would have done back in your traveling days? Uh, yeah, I think PJ Tucker and I are like kindred spirits. Really? Like, I do. You a pancake like, guy? I love pancakes. I you ate them every city I went to, but I didn't I didn't search out like the best pancake. Right. Um. 
But his like I really mess with PJ. Like the way he plays, I like the, I like his style. I like the pancakes, and he wore one of my pairs of two K fours back when he was with the Suns, and he really? put it on Instagram. Like, oh, he found a pair back out. in the old locker room. I get down with PJ Tucker. I like that. I think it's a great idea. I think it's made perfectly for 2018 with social media, and I absolutely would have tried to do something. Yeah, especially if you're in, especially if you're doing it anyway. Right. Like everybody likes everybody likes pancakes. Yeah. Why not? And you're getting free pancakes everywhere. Good you follow. Go. He's yeah. a good follow. <laughs> Well, we're high on PJ, but we're low on Hassan Whiteside because he left the bench to go into the locker room by himself during last night's game against the Orlando Magic. So there was still time on the clock when he made this move. Whiteside was benched for the entire fourth quarter of that game. He finished with 12 points, 9 rebounds, and 3 blocks in 25 minutes. The Magic ended up beating the Miami Heat 105-90. to But D-Wade had his back. According to him, Whiteside went into the locker room early because he had to use the restroom. But then when asked about yeah, right. this abrupt move after the game, that's what I'm talking about. Coach Eric Spolstra said that he was, quote, probably extremely upset like we all are. So... Whiteside also wasn't available to the media after the game. Danny and Raja, I have to say, I am not surprised at all by Whiteside doing something like this. But also, is this really a big deal? Uh, yeah, it is a big deal. It um, is. It is. I mean, look, I'm not super mad at Hassan. I'm not. But it is a big deal because it speaks to what's going on inside, like, this Heat organization that people usually say is, like, you're doing things the Heat way and the Heat culture. Well, the Heat culture doesn't look like it's all of that right now, right? Hassan is clearly upset. And to me, it speaks to a lack of communication because, look, Hassan Whiteside shouldn't be blindsided by not playing in the fourth quarter at this point. You've invested that much money in him. And if you think he can't win in the fourth quarter, that's fine. But you need to tell him, hey, look. You ain't going to be playing in the fourth quarter, so get over to tantrums and just sit your behind there because you know you're not playing in the fourth quarter. The fact that he continues to be like what, what it appears to be blindsided by this is absurd to me at this point. Is Hassan Whiteside a poop butt? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's a poop butt. All this stuff looks but like again, everything I've heard about it. I want to look before they signed him, and this isn't I told you so, but right. Hassan Whiteside wasn't in the NBA for a long time for a reason. Yeah. And it wasn't because he was 6'2 at the time and 150 pounds. He's always been that size, that tantalizing of an athlete. It was because Hassan Whiteside had some problems. And you went and you found him, and he put together a little snippet of a sample size for you, and you bit. And you were naive, or just stupid, to think that Hassan Whiteside was not going to eventually be Hassan Whiteside again. Yeah, I think he's an incredibly immature player who needs to grow up, but it seemingly he never will because he keeps doing stuff like this that just makes you scratch your head. And I think it would be a real headache to coach. Like, yeah, you're absolutely. Like, you're go tell him. I'm sure these talks have been going on for a couple years now, and it just does not get through his thick skull. Yeah, could be. He's a, a, a poop butt? Is that how you say it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got to say it with Coco a little more conviction. Coco loves it. Our producer is going nuts right now. He's like, stop saying it. I know. I'm sorry. Sorry, Coco. All right. That's all for Socially Relevant. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell. Coming up after the break, Danny and Raja break down LeBron, Kobe, and that magic conversation. Come on back to Off the Bench. All right, welcome back. Let's do some leftovers here. Yeah. Uh, LeBron, when he signed with the Lakers, one of the things I was very curious to see how it would unfold yeah. was the dynamic with the Kobe shadow looming over him mm-hmm. and also Magic Johnson. Mm-hmm. So these two guys, prominent figures, top five players in Lakers history, uh, have been pretty vocal about some of the Lakers issues, some of, you know, growing with LeBron. Magic started it a couple weeks ago. He said the Lakers are trying to ensure, quote, they don't run everything through LeBron on offense because, quote, now it is Cleveland all over again and we don't want that. Sure. Kobe was asked about it, followed up. He said, so it's a test of Bron's patience and also what he needs to do 
to keep the team's head above water. So it's a balancing act. So, of course, then they're going to go to LeBron and ask him about Magic and Kobe's. Yeah. He said, I don't know what asking me to do too much is, to be honest. I just play my game. And then he said, I mean, Magic and Kobe know who I am. I know who I am. They know what they're going to get out of me. That is, you know what you're going to get out of me every game. When it's really, really, really money time, you know who is going to be there. Boom. Um, <clears throat> Here's what I would say. I do understand the premise of not asking LeBron to do everything. He's getting older. Um, he's having a fantastic year though. His, his, uh, like to think that he doesn't really decline or he hasn't declined yet is pretty remarkable, but you certainly want to take some of the, the playmaking responsibility off of his hands. But let's be real. Like if it's a hundred percent scale, like while you don't want it to be 90, 10, like LeBron ball in his hands and 10% with the other guys, you certainly do want it at like 75-25. So the ball is going to be in LeBron's hands. That's the best version of LeBron. It's what gives his teams the best opportunity to win games. Then I would also say to like Kobe and Magic is, do you guys forget what it was like when you played? Like when Magic played, he had the ball in his hands every every possession. He was the one that made that go. And Kobe, I know for a fact, because I guarded him, right. had it in his hands every possession. And if it didn't start with him, it certainly finished with him having the ball. And so, like, look, I don't have any beef with them saying that. I and think Kobe didn't change when he was older in his career. He still wanted to shoot. He still wanted the ball in his hands all the time. He scored 60-something <laughs> in his right. last game. He could right. barely walk. Right. Yeah, he wants the ball. That's what great players do. But I don't think LeBron – I don't think that Kobe or Magic was really throwing shade at LeBron. I think I thought LeBron took it a little bit like sensitive. Like I think he did. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he was like, "Hey, I play my game. Like they know what they're going to get." Like I think he. Now, granted, it could come in the messenger. He's getting peppered by media. This is what they said. How do you respond? Like you never know what kind of mood he's in that day, and it might just been annoying to get right. another question about Magic and Kobe. Well, I'd be annoyed too if we had started off like we started off, and I was making a concerted effort, which LeBron was. To like ingratiate myself to the team, let Danny be Danny, let Hannah be Hannah, let, uh, Coca, even though he's a poop butt, be Coca. Like, I would have been, I would have, I would have been upset if that didn't work. And then I decided, all right, let me, let me do what you brought me here to do. And we start winning. Right. And then I got to hear about it. Yeah, exactly. All right. I want to finish off on this one because I'm getting really irritated by the lazy articles that are written every time a quarterback signs. It's not Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. And everybody says, oh, there's another quarterback. There's another quarterback. It means you're not giving Colin up a chance or he's being blackballed. I think at this point, it's been long enough where just Colin Kaepernick is done playing football. And I think you have to become okay with that and stop writing these stupid articles. It doesn't mean that they think Colin Kaepernick isn't as good as Mark Sanchez or whoever the next quarterback they sign is. Right. It's just... It's not going to happen. It means they're not giving him another job to play football. Right. That's what it means. If you could take out how good he is versus the next guy, the bottom line is Colin Kaepernick will not play football in an NFL game. Do you think he wants to play at this point anymore? At this point, maybe not. Right. I, I guarantee you he doesn't want to play for a couple hundred grand yeah. the Redskins. Or, or the last awful. couple weeks of the season. Yeah, exactly. Right. For a couple hundred grand when he's going to make more money out of that. Now, the thing that doesn't do himself any favors is Jay Gruden has asked about it. And he said, oh, he was disgusted for sure. And it didn't come down to anything off the field. Like, Stop. I don't even think they talked about it. And they were probably like, don't even mention it. So why do you throw gasoline on this fire by bringing that up? as beyond yeah, me. Yeah, the ownership probably told you to do, do better. It. So it doesn't look like a collusion. That's exactly. Situation. 